So this morning's question is this question that I've gotten multiple times over the last 6 to 12 months. And it's come in multiple forms, uh, and I'm going to probably ask it in multiple forms this morning and try to answer it as adequately, adequately as we can. Uh, should we be preparing for an economic collapse? <laughs> no. Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. How many have asked that question or been asked that question recently? How many of you have said, here's, here's the questions, okay? Now, here's my problem with all this. We've had all these questions. See, I'm just starting. It's the introduction. I'm already down here. How about that? You guys, it's like going to see Shamu. You're in the splash section. I'll spit on you. So did our pastor just refer to himself as Shamu? Yes, I did. <laughs> so, come back, come back. Here's the questions. Pastor, should we be preparing for an economic collapse? What happens is, is now we've got, we've got Christians and super-Christians and even more mightier, more powerful Christians than others. And what happens is, is everybody's got an idea of what it should be, and so we have Christians arguing amongst themselves about what one should do. And here are the arguments. Well, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I believe that Jesus is going to return and pull us out of this world before any kind of economic collapse can happen. God's going to deliver us from the wrath, and God's going to deliver us from the struggles, and God's going to deliver us from the trials. Therefore, I don't feel like I need to store up anything. I think that's a waste. And anybody that would store up anything is faithless. I've heard these arguments, okay? And then you have people, go ahead and laugh, get it out of your system, it's all right. It's all, it's all loving, trust me. And then you've got the other side of people that are saying, well, I know you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. And in the middle of tribulation, that means we're going to go through three and a half years. And, and if I got stuff and you need it and you're going to be bad-mouthing me and laughing at me, you ain't getting it. <laughs> Don't come knocking on my door because I'm bunkered in. I got razor wire around my house. I got the American flag and the don't tread on me flag out in front of my house. And I've got guns and I've got food stored. So back off, Jack. Don't come bother me if you've got problems. <laughs> and then you got the other Christians that said, Well, I just have enough faith in God to think that He's going to take care of all of it and I don't have to worry. So I don't know what island you live on, and I don't know what your opinion is in all of it, but I'm just going to state this morning, I think that we're all asking the same questions because the writing's on the wall. You can't have a debt of $18 trillion or however high it is at this point to another nation and growing daily leaps and bounds. You can't do that and sustain yourself. And if you are one of those people that says, well, that's just how economy works, and that's just part of it, and that's just how it is. We're always in debt. We're going to always... Okay, live your personal life that way, and tell me how that works out for you. It's not going to. Long gone, long gone is the idea of just the American economy, the almighty dollar, just always going to be okay. It's just gone right now. People are asking these questions because our government is moving quickly, step by step, closer to a socialistic government a day at a time. It is. And it's coming, folks. It's coming quickly. This nation, there was a time in our nation probably 30 years ago 
when somebody used the word communist, they took it seriously. And socialism is another word for communism. It's the nice word for communism. That's what we have coming at us today. When you have a president that starts talking about distributing wealth among others around the world, that's called communism. That's why people are asking these questions. Pastor, I don't understand. I I don't get it. Listen, there are people who have shown uh, the government is trying to implement certain things that I'm not going to go into this morning uh, that are laying the groundwork in preparation for uh, the Antichrist to take over this world. Not just America, but the world system in effect. There, there is a chip that is being implanted all around the world right now as we speak and a plan to implant it into the United States of America by a certain date. Folks, the reason people are asking these questions is because we're seeing prophecy fulfilled on a regular basis today. So in light of these questions, there's a lot of things to discuss, a lot of things to talk about, especially when you have people like Jonathan Kahn, who is a Messianic Jew, who's prophesied a lot of things in Scripture, some things to look at and, uh, and to, to consider that the Scripture talks about that's coming. We have, we have people like Perry Stone and others who, have, who are pretty reputable people who are coming up with things that are pretty intriguing. I'm not going to say that every one of them's right or every one of them's true or all their takes on Scripture is correct. The fact of the matter is, is that when we as a nation begin to stop and look at the anti-Christian movement of our culture, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what's going on? Now, I'm not saying the lady in Kentucky has done everything right. But she's in jail for her religious convictions. It's a dangerous place we live in in our culture. And listen, I'm just going to be real honest with you. People say, Pastor, how did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. Because people voted for politicians based off of popularity, based off of a party line, because my mom was this or my grandma was this, that's how I'm going to vote, because people have thrown away the truth of God's Word, ignored the truth, and put people in office that are godless and only worry about our economy, our selfishness, what I want. I'm going to vote for this guy because he's going to make us rich. He's going to bring change. That's why we are where we are today. And so now people say, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? You know what's funny? It's not just us asking this question. See, when it moves outside of the church, and there is a movement of people who are godless, who don't know Christ, who can see the writing on the wall, who are preparing for themselves and their families. You know, they make TV shows about it now. There are magazines and websites you can go to. There are clubs you can join where you can learn how to survive on your own. People are investing in gold, guns, and food. (laughs) Everybody just take a deep breath. Pastor's scaring us today. (laughs) Everybody's face, you ought to see all yourself. You're like... Some of you, it's the first time you've heard it. Wait a second, where... Is this not 1955 anymore? No. It's scary to think about, isn't it? It's, it's, it's disheartening at times. And I don't, I don't want to bring to you an attitude of hopelessness, but 
But our culture has caught on to this whole prepping mentality, and they are capitalizing off of it. Do you know that, does anybody get those little sales ads from Sam's? From Sam's, the, the store, whatever you want to call it. Walmart on steroids. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> the place where you go in for one thing, leave with 12,000 items. Because you can only buy them in 12,000 bulk. We get this little ad and I flipped through it and, and down in the corner there was this thing that said, food for a family of four for one year, non-perishable, Save $700 when you buy it in this kit. And I thought, Walmart! I mean, Sam's is into the prepping thing. They said, hey, there's a market here. Let's jump in on it. Folks, I say all that to say this. This question and these questions that have been asked that are similar to this over the last 6 to 12 months are legitimate questions and legitimate concerns. Let me tackle real quickly the question about prepping, prepping or not prepping based upon Bible prophecy. For example, Pastor, I'm a, uh, I believe, we believe in the Assemblies of God of a pre-tribulation rapture. Therefore, I believe that Jesus Christ is going to rapture us out of here before we have anything to worry about. You know what? If that happens, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that. Some of you may say, what is a pre-tribulation rapture? It means that after Jesus Christ returns for His church, there's going to be seven years of basically hell on earth. The first three and a half is kind of hell. The last three and a half is really, really bad. Okay? So it's, all, it's referred to as Jacob's trouble. Some believe in pre-tribulation. Some believe in the middle of that tribulation is where the believers are going to be taken out of this earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ believe both. Okay, everybody say brothers and sisters. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the thing. There are scriptures that point to both. Now stop right there. Stop. Some of you are going to say, Pastor, are you getting ready to preach heresy? No. If I was getting ready, what is heresy? Is heresy preaching something that you question based off of the assemblies of God's doctrine? Or is heresy standing here and saying something about Christ? Heresy is if I would say, Jesus Christ has returned. Or heresy would be, Jesus Christ is never returning. That's heresy. But I am going to stand here before you and tell you that we have chosen, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. However, God does not live off of the doctrines of the assemblies of God. And when there are scriptures, the same scriptures we use to defend our doctrine, others, brother, other brothers and sisters, or I say brothers and sisters, because people fight over this stuff, and it's stupid, shouldn't fight over it. Our other brothers and sisters in Christ believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. And they use the same scriptures to support their belief as we do. And when they share it, it's pretty convincing. And when we share ours, it's pretty convincing. What's that tell me? (laughs) It's kind of a gamble. This is what we think is going to happen. Listen, would you put your entire family at jeopardy for the lottery? Here's my point. I will teach and preach a pre-tribulation rapture. If Jesus decides to do something different, you cannot be dogmatic about Bible prophecy. You can't be overly dogmatic. Here, why? I'll give you an example, and I'll try to do this as quickly as I can this morning. Remember Jesus 
comes into the, earth, the world and we got John the Baptist present and the Pharisees are there and they know Bible prophecy. They got it down, okay? They've got it very, very clear. They know what they're talking about. This is what we're looking for. And they confront John the Baptist here in John chapter 1, verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, speaking of, are you that prophet, the Messiah? No. Finally, they said, who are you then? Give us an answer to to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. So in other words, these individuals had believed and heard Bible prophecy all their lives. Excuse me. And they had looked and they were looking for the Messiah. And now they're kind of like us. They're at a time where they're seeing stuff happening. And so they want to ask questions. They said, are you the Messiah? Are you, you must be Elijah. Now, why would they ask him if he was Elijah? Because they knew Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. They know that passage, and they interpreted Bible prophecy only looking at the second coming of Christ. They were looking for Elijah to show up first. They wanted to know when this Messiah would come. So they see John, they get this prophet in the wilderness that's saying, I'm coming before the Lord, and I'm the one that's preparing the way. Then they said, oh, so you must be Elijah. No, I'm not Elijah. You see, some of them couldn't believe who Jesus was as the Messiah because they couldn't believe that John was the Elijah that had to precede him. They were dogmatic about Bible prophecy. They got on the wrong point and the wrong topic, stood with it, and missed the Savior. They got confused because of their doctrine. God would send Elijah before, but they didn't think about Jesus that would come and establish his kingdom here. They looked ahead. They hoped that they thought would be Elijah himself so that they would see the Messiah was coming. This is why we can't allow ourselves to become too dogmatic about Bible prophecy. The mystery of God, folks, is too vast. He's going to let us know something's going to happen. But it's not, a, it's not a, an artist's rendition where we can see all the details. It's more like a stick figure drawing. Amen? You can take it to the bank that Jesus is going to return for His church. He said He would. You can take it to the bank that after a seven-year period... He's going to come back and He's going to destroy the enemies of God and He's going to establish Himself as King of kings, Lord of lords on this earth for a thousand year reign. It's made very clear what that's going to look like and how long it's going to be. At the end, some time toward the end, we don't know what time. We just know it's going to happen. That the devil's going to be loose for a short time. People are going to rebel against God again. And fire is going to burn those up. And then this earth is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a great white throne judgment. Then a new heaven and a new earth. We know these things. They're clear. But we don't see all the details. It was clear that a Messiah was coming. It was clear that Elijah was coming. But because they thought they had the details figured out, they were confused. In Matthew 11... Jesus said this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, why would they have to be willing to accept it? Because they had been dogmatic standing on what they had believed. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. 
Now, John just said he wasn't Elijah. But you say he was. But then we get further clarity after, get this, I think Jesus just liked messing with the disciples a little bit. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. If I was Jesus, I would have messed with the disciples. They go on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who do they see there with Jesus? They see Elijah and they see Moses, right? And they knew it was Elijah. And you got to think the disciples are going, Oh, here he is. All right. He's come to restore all things. And Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on earth. And then what happens? They hear God's voice. Elijah disappears. Which leads them to this question in Matthew 17. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? In other words, this whole Elijah bit's confusing us. Jesus replied, To be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Folks, listen. Bible prophecy can sometimes be interpreted and used two different ways. So we have to be careful by standing dogmatic and, and, and being driven only by Bible prophecy. Why do I say that? In the book of Revelation, there's seven thunders that speak. God says, uh, don't write down, don't, Jesus says, don't write down what the, what the seven thunders spoke. God never intended to show us the entire picture because you and I couldn't handle it. Okay? But what Jesus told him here, he said, I tell you for sure, Elijah is coming. He is going to come. We see that in the book of Revelation. He's one of the two witnesses that are there. Elijah will come before I establish my kingdom on this earth. But John came too. John came as Elijah. In other words, preceding the way. And when we go back to Luke chapter 1 and we look in the scripture, we see where the angel speaks to his father and he says, look, Zacharias, he said, your son is going to come in the spirit of Elijah. In other words, preceding the way of the Lord. Now see, we can look back at all of this in Scripture and go, duh, I get it now. But when you're in the middle of it, it's kind of hard to discern. You say, Pastor, why are you saying all this? I don't know. I don't know. My example is this. You're not wrong about Jesus coming back. He is returning. And He is returning for a bride that's white, and it's pure, and it's ready to go. Amen? Amen. But, if the Spirit of God is pricking your heart to do something in preparation for your family, and you resist it because you're dogmatic about Bible prophecy, listen to the Spirit of God. Amen? Even if we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and we do not fully understand, we don't understand the condition of the world and what it's going to look like leading up to it. Again, we see a pencil drawing, a stick figure of what's going to happen in the future. We can look at the account of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis and see the punishment of the wicked as well as the deliverance of the righteous. In Second Peter, we catch this glimpse in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 6. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteousness, righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Now, people use this reference of the scripture as an example of God removing the righteous, the church from a world that is depraved and destroying the world and, and, and pulling out the righteous for salvation. 
And, and I believe that, okay? I believe that. But let's look here real quick and let's see the condition of the world around uh, Lot and what it was that he was dealing with. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds. How many of you are tormented when you turn on the news anymore? Here's the thing about a pre-tribulation rapture. I still don't know how bad it's going to get before he returns. Amen? That torment could be more than just being thrown in jail for your faith. It could be more than just, I don't know what the condition of our nation is going to look like before Jesus comes back. So in light of that, for those of you that want to prepare, for those of you that want to do some preparation, you know, if God can teach Jacob how to breed the livestock in a way that was an advantage to him, to bless him, then God is able to speak to your heart to be able to advantage yourself in times of trouble. Amen? Now, some of you right now say, well, pastor apparently thinks that we all need to go out to Sam's and buy that prepper thing. Before you do, let me buy some stock in Sam's, okay? Before you do that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Listen, I'm answering some questions here, and I'm going to cover the whole thing here in just a minute, so be patient with me. Some people say, are there scriptural examples of times when God has encouraged people of being prepared for things? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. There's a whole bunch that I don't have time to pull out today, but here's one. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit, like scarcity, like an armed man. Now, again, for the sake of being contextual, I realize that that passage in that proverb is speaking about people who are lazy and not wanting to work. Amen. We understand the season of winter. And when you are a farmer back in the day that this was written, you had to, had to not just plant a garden. You had to plant for yourself and your family, prepare for the wintertime because you're not going to have fruit in the wintertime. You're not going to have any kind of grain or anything that's coming up for you just to go out and grab. You're going to have to prepare for that. We get that. We understand that. Amen. That's what that's written for. However, I will say this. There are seasons in life. And here's the difference between wintertime and seasons. You don't always expect the seasons of life like you do wintertime. Dave Ramsey, we went through uh, his study a couple years ago in the summertime, and he talks about having an emergency fund. Because there's one thing you can be sure about. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can be sure something's going to happen. You can be sure that that washer or dryer is going to break. You can be sure that something's going to break on the alternator went out on the car. You can be sure of that. You can be sure that the hot water heater is going to start shooting water out of the bottom instead of the top. Amen? Something's going to happen. And so you better have an emergency fund there to prepare for it. If you don't prepare an emergency fund, that's irresponsible, right? In life, you're going to be sure that things are going to happen. What's my point? Well, let's... <laughs> oh, my goodness. I... I need to skip some stuff. All right, let's, let's look at, let's compare vacations and natural disasters. Okay? Let's, let's compare vacations and natural disasters. How many of you love vacation? Hallelujah! I get four a year, one a quarter. Thinking about my next one right now. Hallelujah. You get four a year. 
I love it. It's, it's awesome. But, 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 but there are those vacations where you have staycations, and then you have those vacations where you actually go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And for those go-somewhere vacations, you sit down and you look and you figure out what you want and you begin to put money back and you prepare for it and save for it and save for it. And like you're looking six, seven, eight months out going, I can't wait. The beach is calling me. I know it is. I got to get some of this fat off, but the beach is calling me. <laughs> and then you don't get any fat off and you get to the beach, you don't even care. You just take your shirt off anyway. <laughs> Kids scream and run. (laughs) Scientists show up and try to roll you back into the water. (laughs) It's a great experience. So you plan out vacation after vacation, and and you get excited about it. And and here's the thing. Nowadays, if you plan a vacation, you can get vacation insurance. Amen? Some places you say, well, what if... Listen, if you're going to take a cruise... See, the cruise lines will give you a deal on a cruise this time of year. Get vacation insurance. Because you know hurricanes are going to come. You just don't know what time and where. Amen? See, we don't like to do that because we don't like to think about the bad things. You know, we plan for retirement, but we don't plan for death. Right? Say, well, I can't wait. If I put more money in retirement... I may get to retire sooner. Boy, if I can plan my death now, I might be able to... (laughs) We don't like to plan for things that seem negative, do we? When we start talking about the things that we've been discussing today as it pertains to our economy and our great nation that I love, it's disheartening and it's not things that we necessarily like to plan for. But we can be sure that we're not going to do ourselves harm. You know, we don't know. You know, we'll plan for certain things, but we don't even know if a tornado will come ripping through our community next year. What if we have an ice storm this winter? Are you prepared? Now, see, all this has got to be done in balance, and it's got to be... You say, Pastor, is there another time in Scripture? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time. If I think of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 where he gets the prophecy, uh, the, the, the prophetic dream of the Pharaoh, and he says there's going to be seven good years and seven bad years, and we need to, through the seven good years, plan for the seven bad years and, and store up and prepare. And because Joseph, a godly man, heard from the Lord, prepared for the seven bad years, he not only fed himself and the nation, but listen to this, there's two sides to this. His family was able to come in and be fed. One godly man, one, one godly man heard from God. One godly man heard that there was going to be seven years of blessing. Just think if they would have consumed the seven years of blessing for themselves. Apparently, the other nations around them had. The other godless nations had consumed every blessing on themselves. And then here it was, uh, other, other men who were seeking God and yet didn't get the prompt to be prepared were going through the same drought and they said, we hear there's... Food in Egypt. And so they were there and they were blessed. You want to hear a cool thought before I move on? Both the one who was prepared, the one that was prompted by God to prepare, had their needs met, and those who had faith had their needs met. The ones who prepared had their needs met, and the ones who had faith had their needs met. And both worked with an attitude of love, and when they came together, there was plenty. 
You see, these, the division walls of people saying, well, I have faith, I'm not going to be like them and try to just plan upon having so much natural resources. God will take care of me. And the one that's prepared is going to have to get past when the guy goes, kunk, 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 kunk. Do, you, do, you, do you have any more evaporated milk? Because I want some really bad. And they can provide. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Think of Elijah with the widow. And he told her, he said, why don't you go ahead and and take what you have and make it for for me first. And then the Lord will bless you. And the oil never ran out. The flour never ran out. The blessings upon her because of her faithfulness to God. Listen, can it be both? Can it possibly be both? And can it be both preparation and faith? Is it possible? Could it be that God is sovereign and He's over all things? And you say, Pastor, haven't there been times where people were, had their needs met, where they never prepared anything and God just met their needs? Well, yeah, the children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness, manna every day, quail, they were given water from a rock, their sandals and their clothes never wore out. Listen, when Jesus said that He loved the sparrows and they would feed Him and He would clothe, God the Father would clothe the valleys and He said, I will clothe you and feed you, He meant it. The key is, is that we don't need to be afraid all the time. If the bottom fell out today, don't let your faith fall and rest on your little nugget of food in your basement. Let it rest on Christ who's your provision. Because if you let it rest upon your stuff, then when your neighbor comes, you're not going to give him any. But if you have nothing and the bottom falls out and you say, I've got nothing, I've done nothing, listen, your faith and your hope rests upon Jesus Christ who provides all things. Psalm 37.25 says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. God will provide. Amen? The key is this. If you, if you want to, if you turn to 2 Timothy 1.7, I want you to highlight a few things and we're going to finish. I'm about done. Can you imagine that? Can you believe it? Say, say it, y'all. He's about done. And he hadn't answered anything. Isn't it great? I haven't answered anything. (laughs) He told us it's okay to do both. What's the point? I'm getting there. 2 Timothy 1.7 Paul's instruction to Timothy says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. In other versions it says fear. But a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. First of all, when we have faith in God, rather than our resources, this is what it provides for us. It provides for us a confidence instead of fear. We don't have to be afraid. Listen, a lot of this stuff that's being pushed at us is, is motivated by fear. Listen, if you prep, don't prep out of fear. Prep out of joy that God's providing. Amen? Prep with an attitude that says, God is my sustenance. He's given us wisdom. I've seen ahead and I can see prophetically what's potentially coming and I just want to be ready for anything. It could be natural disaster. It could be government issues. It could be anything. And, and do it out of joy instead of fear, folks. Because God is faithful. Amen? Listen to what God says. Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
In Romans 15, 13, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, fill, all, fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know, Paul was writing that to the Roman church, the church that eventually was paraded into Colosseums, where people were ate by lions, where they were shred to pieces, where they were stabbed, where they were beheaded, where they were tied to, to, to posts and burned alive. This is the message that was sent to him. May the God of, all hope, of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Listen, folks, don't be afraid. If, even, if, even if they killed us and we're a child of God, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Amen? We just sang it. No longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Secondly, faith in God brings us power. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Highlight timidity or fear and highlight power. Listen, I can tell you this. Anytime things get extreme in this world, biblically, God does the miraculous. What happened to Daniel in the lion's den? What happened with David and Goliath? What happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Any time that there is an opposing government or an internal government that would raise itself up against God, God would always raise up prophets and do the miraculous through them. You don't need to be afraid. Listen, I just read an article the other day of a little Ethiopian girl, 12 years old, who was taken captive by her kidnappers and was, was, was taken out to be raped, obviously, ultimately, to be married off to one of the captors. She didn't want to. She tried to resist, and there was nothing anyone can do. But lions came out of the wilderness and surrounded her and ran off her captors and guarded her until the police got there. Listen, we don't want trouble a lot of times, but the trouble is the right formula for the miraculous to take place. Nobody wants to get sick, but when you get sick, there's a healing. Amen? Nobody wants somebody to try to kill them. As I'm getting ready to read Mark 16, 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. Nobody wants to face demonic people. Nobody wants them. How many of you say, good morning, Pastor Bob? Nobody wants that. It's like the Allstate guy. I told him, I said, I told somebody, I said, I would never buy Allstate insurance. They said, why? I said, because they're demon possessed. A <laughs> man's voice comes out of that little girl every time. Are you afraid? No, I have Allstate. What? <laughs> what just happened? Demons out. <laughs> Digging for my anointing oil on my keys. You hold still for just a second. This wasn't just a car accident. It was from hell itself. I can tell. Focus, Pastor Bob, focus. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. Nobody wants to be around snakes. It's a provision for the power of God to take place. They'll drink. You know what? There was a guy that came in the other day. I'm sorry. I, we got 20 minutes. Just deal with it. Guy come into the church the other day with a delivery for something we purchased. Carla said, "You won't believe this. I was out. I was out of town for that day." She goes, "The guy brought some stuff here." I said, "Yeah." She goes, uh, "He's Pentecostal." I said, "Oh, really? Cool." She goes, "Well, <laughs> he, 
he was telling me, he's like, oh, you guys are Pentecostal church? He said, yeah. He goes, well, he said, I was raised Pentecostal. He said, he was, yeah. He was down like in Virginia or somewhere. I don't know where he was, but, but all I know is he said that somebody, there was a funeral, and he said when, when my uncle showed up with the snakes, my mom decided she didn't want to be involved with the church anymore. His aunt had been bitten in her hand and lost her hand because of venomous, they're carrying venomous snakes in worship service. No longer a slave to fear. You never see the fat guy move so quick as I would be out the back door. And when they drink deadly poison, listen, nobody wants somebody to come after you to kill you. Nobody wants to drink deadly... Nobody wants somebody to sabotage your drink to try to kill you. But look at it. It will not hurt them at all. Listen... The stuff we're dealing with and the stuff that's coming, this is something to be afraid about. It's something to be excited about because the children of God are going to be empowered to do great things. Amen? We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of, of power, of love. Faith in God brings love. For one, that love comes in the form of provision for their family and they got to do what they got to do. And others, it comes in the form of instruction and warning and teaching. Others, that love is going to come in the form of different fashions and different kinds. Whether it be prophecy, whether it be prepping or confronting sin, we need to have love. Amen? And faith, lastly, in God brings about self-discipline. I don't know if Steve's here or Alyssa's here or what. We're going to close, but none none of them's here. That's all right. We'll just pretend like there's music. We don't need it anyway. Faith in God brings about self-discipline. Listen, if, if, (laughs) if you have faith in God, it's going to help us discipline all these things that we've talked about. If you store up some things for yourself, have some discipline. Okay? Don't go crazy. Don't go nuts, man. Don't be one of those people. You know what I'm saying? Listen, you can store up all the guns and ammunition you want. You can pack it all into your house and every corner. But if seriously, if the military came to remove you, I don't care how many guns you have or what, it's just going to make a louder boom when they blow you up. You can't fight off the military. Now, you may be able to defend your home from thieves or whatever else, but I'm just telling you, you're not really going to fight the government by yourself, Rambo. It's not going to happen. Okay? So use some common sense. Amen? The investment that we make could be a provision that would supply for our family and also for our neighbors or other people. If you want to do that, that's fine. But do me a favor. Eat whatever you invest in. Have some self-control. You say, what are you talking about? Okay, if you prepare for something, whether it's natural disaster, whether it's for anything else that we might think related to the government or anything else that we're talking about, that's fine. But make sure you plan on eating it. Why? Because anything else is a waste. You can eat your investment. It's okay. But if you hoard stuff and it just goes to waste, it's ridiculous. Don't do that. Have some self-control. In other words... Buy food that you will eat. Amen? Some people say, well, we've got to get all this prepper food. I'm going to be honest with you. Prepper food is meant to keep you alive. They don't ever display it on the food channel. <laughs> Nobody's excited. There are no prepper food restaurants. Oh, let's go have some evaporated milk and rice and beans. Hey, hey. Nobody's doing that. So if you get some non-perishables, make sure it's some that you'll eat. Make sure you know the date that it expires and replace it. 
Amen? It's just called being, being responsible with what God has given. It's called self-control. If you have faith and you say, Pastor, I'm, I have faith in God that He's going to supply my needs, then I don't have to worry about it, then at least be responsible with that attitude. If the Spirit of God's pricking your heart to do something, don't resist Him. Obey Him. Amen? God is going to provide. This whole message, <laughs> I just took a really long time to say this. There's no wrong answer. Do it all for the glory of God and do it with self-control, with love, with an attitude of, of power. And don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. And this morning as, as we close, here's the, here's the ultimate provision. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sin and my sin. Every year when it gets to be this time, we're going to hit the anniversary of 9-11 again. And a couple weeks ago when we had beautiful weather, it was just gorgeous. The sky was clear. The sun was out, 74 degrees, perfect. I walked outside and I instantly began to remember that day in 2001. I remember walking out the back door of the shop where I was working and I'd taken some copper pieces out to throw them in scrap. And I stood there by the, by the, the container and I looked up and I thought, man, what a beautiful day. It's just gorgeous. And I walk inside the door of the shop and I hear a plane has flown into one of the buildings. I didn't know what happened, just as any of you. Didn't know what to expect. Didn't have a cell phone with all the information in the world on it, if you can believe that. Was gathered around, had the radio cranked up, but this time it wasn't boogie-woogie. Wasn't country music jamming in the shop. It was constant news. What's happening? I go home, I go to my mom's house at noon for lunch, and I'm watching the news, mortified, unbelievable that something had just happened of that magnitude. And all I could think about was the lives. And they're saying people are jumping. And I'm like, what? And they had been jumping out of the building prior to them falling. And I thought, what in the world is going on? I remember looking up to the sky and not seeing one plane, not one jet stream. And how eerie that was. In all of those things, lines at the gas stations and people rushing to the grocery stores and trying to gather up what they had because they didn't know what was coming. We didn't know what was happening. You all remember this? Is it just me? And I'm going to tell you this, the people on those planes and the people on those high floors of those buildings and the people at the Pentagon and the people on Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania, the greatest provision for them was not a stock of food at home that wasn't non-perishables, that wasn't anything else, it wasn't guns, it wasn't anything else that they could provide for themselves. It was only the provision on the cross that was necessary for them. Only the blood of Jesus. I don't know how many souls were lost that day. I know there were well over 3,000. I don't know how many of them knew Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're worried about how things are looking and you say the writing's on the wall and things are looking tough uh, ahead of us, the greatest provision you can make for you and your family is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Everything beyond that is just extra stuff. Listen, if you have food, if you have food in the basement and, and, and you've got it stockpiled up and you're raptured out of here before anything happens, you can be sure that there's lost family and friends who know that you're a believer. They're probably going to show up at your house. Let them eat it. I don't care. That's what it's there for. But make sure you stick a Bible in the middle of it. Amen? Because they need the ultimate provision. They need the ultimate provision. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this day.